Hello and welcome to Revolutionary Woman. My name is Tess Silverman. Women around the world are constantly creating ways to make a difference in their communities, and today's guest is no exception. Hello, Rev Woman listeners. March is Women's History Month. To honor this event, I'm re-releasing my conversation with Mandy Sangera, international human rights activist, TEDx speaker, and philanthropist this week. Mandy is an award-winning philanthropist, community consultant, and global campaigner, often referred to as a global catalyst from the UK. She is an international human rights activist and motivational TEDx speaker who travels all over the world, empowering and motivating others. With over three decades of experience, Mandy is an expert in various development-related fields. She has been driving innovation, building strategic partnerships, providing advocacy and programming in the areas of human rights, gender equality, accountability, and social justice globally. Mandy has helped hundreds of individuals and now reaches thousands through social media, worldwide TV appearances, and public speaking engagements. This past November, she spoke at the U.S. House of Representatives for a third year in a row. She recently appeared at the World Economic Forum and supports AI for social good. Welcome to Revolutionary Woman, Mandy Sangara. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Very nice to see you again, Tess. Yes, same here. So I'd like to talk to you about your work with um, you started or you founded Force and Marriage uh, um, Unit, Unit, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Yep. And so have you always been, I'd like to do a little background. Um, have you always been into advocacy and human rights? Yep. Um, can you tell me a little bit about where you're from yep. and how you started? Yep. So I'm Mandy Sangira. I'm a, a global campaigner, an international human rights activist, and I started back at the end of 89, sort of 90, and I started campaigning on um, gender-based violence. And it started when I was 19 myself, and I had a friend who had a disability who ended up getting married. But actually, the woman um, lacked a little bit of capacity, didn't have an understanding of what a marriage was. But actually, at the time, she got married to somebody who used her for immigration purpose. But actually, that wasn't the issue. The issue was that she was you know, sexually abused and physically abused and financially abused by this person who took all her benefits. And I was kind of saying to the community, what is going on here? We cannot allow this to happen. And I then started campaigning. And I'm still here um, all these years later, three decades plus onwards. Mm. And I became one of the founders of the UK Force Marriage Unit to talk about issues that were happening in the South Asian community. Obviously, my parents are from India originally, who came over in the 60s. And I was obviously born on, in 1970. And, um, you know, so there were some real issues that were happening in my community. And I started campaigning and calling out issues. And, you know, where domestic violence would happen, women from my community would not always leave the abuser. They would stay there because of the family honour, because they were worried about being alienated from the community. They were worried about the family reputation. Mm. And this makes women more vulnerable. So that's how I started. And I'm still here. Mm -hmm. And obviously, over the years, I've been traveling around the world and I now address all these issues on a lot bigger scale. But obviously, I started as a, a grassroots um, kind of campaigner, but never knew where my life would take me. But it really has been an amazing journey, Tess. 
Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I was actually I had seen your TEDx talk um, for Whitehall Women, and you shared about, uh, if you don't mind my asking, you shared a personal experience um, with cancer and how that related also to your work. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Certainly we can do. So obviously, you know, um, I'm from the South Asian community and, you know, um, sadly, you know, you've been conditioned to be a certain way, your family um, kind of expect people to be married, have children. And, you know, I had ovarian white cell cancer, but luckily it was caught very early, lost an ovary when I was just in my early 20s, 21 at the time, 22. And, um, you know, it was very um, a difficult time for me as a person because I couldn't understand what had happened. And it was just a very difficult time for me. But then I ended up um, living with a lot of gynae problems afterwards until I was 36 and ended up having a hysterectomy. Sadly, Tess, I've not been able to have children. And it, that is probably one of the things that I used to think, oh, my God, you know, I wish, you know, it was a regret in my life. But then as I've got older and I looked at my life purpose, looked at my dharma, I realized that God had to take something away from me because he had a bigger calling for me to make a difference in the world, to go and help other victims and survivors of abuse. And you became like a mother figure to so many children, like an aunt figure, a sister figure, a mentor, an auntie, you know. And so I've never looked back, but I won't lie to you. It was very, very difficult. It was, I think when you're on your knees, like I said in my TED talk, it's the time to pray. Mm-hmm. It's about reevaluating your life. And I think that, you know, sometimes we have to look at those difficult times in our life and turn them around into a positive. There's a lesson in every difficult situation in your life. And sometimes it's not as easy to talk about Mm -hmm. because actually um, for many years, um, you know, it was very difficult to talk about the fact that you had all these gynae problems, you had all these health conditions because people look at you and they think, oh, you look really healthy, you look really well, you look really good. And but people didn't realize that I'd had, you know, all these problems. People didn't realize I had a hysterectomy. Then I was back at work like three, four months later. And and I was just saying to people, you know, I have a positive attitude. I had to learn to realize that you can't have everything in your life. Mm-hmm. You just count your blessings. I had a lot more than most people. Mm-hmm. And I use that energy to help other people test. So that's what I've ended up doing is using that situation in my life for social good. Wow. I mean, I I can't even imagine, you know, what you went through and how that must have been. Like you said, it was like, okay, it's definitely taken me to my knees, down to my knees, but you turned it around and that's really amazing. Um, But did you find, though, that because you were married at an early age and then this happened, you, you... I mean, the marriage was, you know, just as, you know, it wasn't meant to be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people expect you to have children. Yes. And you know what? I've learned a lot of lessons. And you know what? Some people come in your life as a blessing. Some people come in your life as a lesson. Mm-hmm. And you know what? Sometimes I'm thankful to those people that teach me lessons as well, because it actually makes you more resilient. It teaches you and makes you grow up a lot quicker. I think that if I hadn't have gone through all of those things in my life as a younger person, that maybe my life would have been somewhat different. I may not have been as resilient. I may not have been the person I am today. And I just realized that um, my life had a purpose. 
I've, you know, been brought up as a Sikh and a Hindu. We believe in um, karma. We believe in like having a life purpose, which is called Dharma. And I realized that actually that God had plans for me. And in, you know, in so many ways, there's been things that have happened in my life that, you know, I've ended up in situations like I've ended up speaking at the UN and the House of Representatives for three years in a row this year, speaking at the World Economic Forum. You know, most people would only get an opportunity to speak at one place. And I've been around this world so many times, every single continent, you know, and I've been able to go and speak as keynote and moderate. And, and I've just realized that I had a calling and God has used me to do social good. He used me to do his work to support victims and survivors of harmful practices and cultural practices. And Tess, you know, as much as I'm very proud of my culture and I'm very proud of being a woman of Indian descent, there are also some things in my community that I'm not so proud of. Mm. There are things like early child false marriage. There are issues where women are killed in the name of honor. And I wanna be very clear that there is nothing honorable about abuse and killing somebody because actually, you know, it's just murder. And, you know, I've called out my community when they pick on people for being Dalits or in the lower caste and people think it's okay to exploit and kill people because they are lower caste to them. Just, you know, a couple of months ago, it's not even that. There's been a really high profile case in India where a woman's been gang raped and then her body was set alight and people didn't want to do anything about it because she was a Dalit. You know, to me, I don't care what your religion is. I don't care what your gender is, what your age is. You're a human being. Mm -hmm. And if we lose that humanity that we think that we are somewhat superior because we're born in a, with a silver spoon in our mouth, then that we're living in a very um, a world that I don't want to be a part of, to be honest. Mm. I, well, yes, I did read about that case in India and I was like horrified. I mean, it's uh, I, I don't understand how people would think that that was uh, that was okay or that and it wasn't, of course. Uh, but you oh know, God, just you know, the I mentality. Did an event with Leslie Undwin. So I did an event with yes. Leslie Undwin, who did who's a film director who did the film called India's Daughter, which was bound in India. Mm -hmm. We had the the lawyer from the Supreme Court who dealt with the original case. But I don't know if you would know this, but there was a girl that was gang raped on a bus. Yes, uh, I do know years that. Some ago, Jyoti Singh, yeah? Okay. Yes. So her lawyer, her barrister, was on that panel with us, and Phyllis Chesler and a few other high-profile people were on this panel. And we had a conversation about violence against women. And mm -hmm. we're not saying that India has got an issue, because violence against women is a pandemic, a global issue. Yes. Women, um, during this pandemic have been put in very vulnerable situations. You know, there are women now we know who have ended up being locked in a house with their perpetrator during the lockdown in the UK, Canada, America, and everywhere else. We know that most women and men are stuck with their perpetrators and their abusers, and there's no way out. And they're too scared to leave those situations because the risk of trying to catch COVID. And these people have got a tighter grip on you more than ever. And we need to address these issues. We need to start calling out these abuses of power because that's what exactly what it is. Yeah. Well, I mean, have there been any initiatives because of these, um, because of these rapes and and killings of these young women um, over these instances? I mean, I tell you, you what mentioned. I've seen is like in India, it has been really good to see young men coming mm. in oh. and being a part of the argument. They are doing the rallies. And I think what's happening is I think people are sick and tired of like, you know, this should never have happened again. And actually, you know, we know that 
a Dalit woman or women in India are raped every few hours. Wow. You know, and we cannot do this. And then if you watch it and men are saying, well, she shouldn't have been wearing trousers or she was wearing a skirt or she was wearing a sari that was too tight and, mm. and she was leading me on. You know, we, we need to be educating men about respect and not telling women what to wear Tess. We should not be telling women, oh, you know, cover up and because actually you might be at risk of sexual assault. I mean, Tess, you know what? We need to teach boys about education. Mm-hmm. We need to tell boys that actually, you know what? We are all equal in the eyes of God. It doesn't matter that you're born into a different caste or a different class or a different into poverty. You're still a human being and we are losing that humanity. And it saddens me to my core. Oh, it is horrific and it's really, really sad. But I mean, these ideas were born out of um, culture, right? Cultural yeah. norms, or they think is norms. So yeah. how is it that it's still ongoing and how can anyone stop it? Okay. So one of the things is, test. you know, there are so many harmful practices and cultural traditions like FGM that happens in Africa and in the Middle East. And it happens in India. They call it katana. And where a woman is, you know, uh, goes through the awful barbaric um, practice of FGM. Mm-hmm. There's practices of like breast dining, like in Africa, in places like Cameroon, where a mother will burn her daughter's breast and flatten them because she's worried about her daughter being raped. And I tell you what, I was doing a talk at Amnesty International in the UK, and I was talking about FGM and forced marriage and witchcraft and juju, talking about different harmful practices. And there was this girl sitting there who asked me to meet her in the toilet, and I thought it was a strange request. Mm. And when I met with her, she lifted up her top and showed me her breast, and they were burnt. Just think that her mum had actually flattened her breast and burnt them. Oh, my gosh. Burnt them with God, with a proper iron, with an iron. I couldn't understand I was just in shock I felt sick to my stomach because I had nieces who were like teenagers who were going through puberty and if to see somebody that would flatten their breasts because we don't want them to look attractive can you just imagine what that would do to your self-esteem your self-worth your mental health your psychological um well-being it was just unbelievable and then you know I've also done a lot of work on like harmful practices around witches people being branded witches so like in South Asia and other parts of the world in Africa you know sometimes things will happen and we've seen a real increase of witch lynching at the moment around the world where people are blaming women for who may become a widow or they've had misfortune and people are not believing that covid is real and these pastors and these these people of faith leaders are now using religion and exploiting people and saying oh no it's just a curse you've wow. been possessed okay and, you well, know there's so well, much work I, I i i can understand but lead me back towards okay let's go back towards witches i mean 17th century i understand but people still believe there are witches and and, yeah, and the problem is you know what in the uk it wasn't that long ago till like in the four, 1940s we were still lynching women and accusing them of witches but in places it comes down to lack of education so you know in africa and places 25 percent of the young people go to school and get an education most of that education comes from your community leaders your faith leaders your family your elders you've been conditioned to think that that is normal you think Mm. that that is acceptable and i tell you what there's a young woman who i've spoken with over the years and she's done some uh, talks with me she was from the congo And she came here and she was adopted by somebody. And, you know, and her aunt was carrying out awful practices because she thought she was possessed by the devil and she thought she was an evil spirit. And, you know, she was torturing her 
And I just could not believe that this was happening. And I've spoken about this many a time. We've seen people now attack albinos, thinking that their limbs are lucky and they've been chopping off their limbs. And I did an event in Geneva a couple of years ago on witchcraft and juju, and we had a keynote speaker and she talked about, you know, her arms being taken off. Oh, my god! Because, gosh. oh, my God. So, you know, how do you change the mindsets? Because it, it's not just about education, but it's about changing attitudes and it's about showing people. And what we've realised is, uh, whether you call them pastors, priests, you know, whatever man of God or woman of God, they are just using it to exploit people and sp spread fear and mm. exploit people financially and abuse them, their positions. And there is so much work that needs to be done to address these issues of harmful cultural traditional practices. And I can tell you now, there is nothing religious about them. They are out of date traditions that have no place in the West. Wow. And, and that's like so mind-boggling to me that they are that they are they're fostering their own beliefs or whatever beliefs they have on these young women thinking they're evil so they need to be you know never mind chastised but you have to be because then like a young oh. girl has been brought up to think that fgm is a right to passage oh. it's not it's right. abuse and we need to address it and call it out for what right. it is for I mean, we, for, for those who don't know what fgm is it's can you Please talk about that. Yeah, yeah. sorry. So it's where the women's Christmas has been cut by women by a blade. So when you're going just before when you're a young child, it's a child abuse. It's a violation of one's human rights. So it's about denying a woman pleasure. But, you know, so many of these girls have complications during childbirth. Some women actually die during childbirth. Some women die while the practice has been cut out by an older woman in the community. They use the same dirty blade for cutting God knows how many women. Mm. And, you know, and it's... And it's men just sort of thinking, you know, and it comes down to virginity and all these other things about denying a woman, you know, and it's we cannot let these practices happen anymore. Right, right. Just like child marriage. And we've seen this now, uh, the COVID, where children have been pulled out of school. And mm. we know that millions of girls will never go back to school. They've ended up being married off to older men. And, you know, they are going to be a child bride, be in a situation where she will probably get pregnant and probably die during childbirth if, you know, she's only 12, 13 herself. And we can't keep letting this happen. And we need to be calling out these practices around the world. Yeah. And, we, and I know the UN and other organisations and PLAN and, and so many other organisations, Girls Not Bride and everyone else, is trying to educate and address these issues. But when you're up against the community, and one of the things that I have done when I travel around the world is actually I have to engage and work with the community leaders. And it's changing one mindset at a time. It's about trying to teach them that this is not right. We've got to educate a girl. And by getting her an education, she can work herself out of poverty. Mm. And we have seen some good examples in places like Bangladesh and India and Pakistan where, um, you know, we've got girls like jobs, say they're sewing or they're doing something. Mm. And the girls, are in, they are getting money. Then their families are becoming dependent on them for money. And now they're sort of like waiting till the girl's about 23, 24 to get married. So, you know, things are changing, but it's still a lot of way to go because wow. actually we know the rural poor mm -hmm. are, are desperate. We have seen people in Afghanistan sell their daughter for a goat that's for $12, right? So when you think you're going to get a goat, Tess, mm -hmm. and I mean, I'm a vegan, I don't eat meat now, but I'm just saying if you've got a lamb and you or a goat, 
how many meals are you going to get? It might stretch you for a week. If you're lucky, it might stretch to two weeks. But after that, you're going to be back in the same boat. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? Uh-huh. So it's yes. about trying to educate communities. And it's it's just unbelievable. But I feel like, to me, it was always about picking a difficult battle. Mm. And I feel very blessed that I've been able to really have an impact with my work around the world and work with um, grassroots organizations around the world, mm-hmm. whether it's in the Philippines or in Asia or in Africa or in South America or wherever it may be. But, you know, it's not been easy because you're tackling some really difficult situations. Mm-hmm. Yes, of course. I I, I see that. For, uh, for the young girls who are being, um, who's, you know, for these young girls who are being, let's say, mutilated, how yeah. young are these girls? How how young are these girls? That so they, I mean, like, I mean, they can be like six or seven. Six or seven. Even younger. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um. They, yeah. I mean, you know, it's really shocking, and we need to educate people. There are some great campaigners you know, like Hebo and, and, you know, Darius and people who are now telling their stories, they're speaking of, they're written books, they're writing about the impact of their life and showing you that this needs to end. And we know that millions of girls around the world um, go through this practice. And in the UK, you know, we've made it a criminal offence. But the problem is these practices happen behind closed doors. Right. And what worries me now, Tess, is, you know, we've had a lockdown in Britain, mm-hmm. like America, Children have been taken out of school because the schools have been locked down, um, you know, and children have been exploited. Children, you know, things are happening to children around the houses that we don't even know. So, you know, I know, like, we kind of think, oh, we're worried about the child picking up COVID. But actually, sometimes home is not a safe place for every child. Right. You know, some children are victim of neglect and abuse. I did an event earlier this year, and it was called the African Safeguarding Summit. And one of the girls from Uganda spoke about like how she's been supporting women who have resulted to survival sex because actually they cannot afford food. They cannot afford to keep anything, a roof over their head. They can't afford the medication. They can't afford uh, sanitary products. And what's happening is, you know, they are having unprotected sex. And actually, to me, I have a greater concern about HIV and AIDS than mm-hmm. I do about COVID. Yes. Right. You know, and how do you educate people? Wow. And I mean, do you, for those that you've reached out to, the different clergy maybe or different heads of the communities, have you, ha, how have they responded to to your... So, well, um, no, okay, so what it is, I mean, so what I've had to do is work with the men and the women in the communities. Okay. I think because I've been around for 30 years. So, you know, I think people know that I'm very consistent. Mm-hmm. I've been around and you become a trusted voice because actually you're going back. You're not just sort of turning up one day and then you never go back again. So I think that you're a bit consistent with your messages. I think people can see that on social media, even through the pandemic, I have continued to do the work and do it remotely, continue to do events, continue to raise awareness, continue to address the issues, continue to... Um, do keynote speeches, whether it's online and actually been able to reach wider audiences than ever before. Mm-hmm. But actually, one of the things that I have realized is by getting men involved and teaching them to become feminist is one step in the right direction. So, you know what? We can't work with ourselves because we need to work with men. Sometimes some women will say to me, well, I'm a feminist. I don't want to talk to men. And, you know, I said, you know what? We have to stop the bra burning. You know, we have to get over this right now. 
Because if we want change, we have to talk to the men. And if they are the gatekeepers to the community, then you have to do that. Because otherwise you're not going to get change. Because otherwise you can sit here and campaign and hate men. Because actually what I say to men is, look, do you not think your wife deserves to be treated with respect? Don't you think your mum deserves to live a life free of violence? Mm. Don't you think your daughter has a right to an education? Do you not think that your wife or your sister has a right to choose? And then they look at you and they're like, yes. So I said, then you're a feminist, because if you believe in equality, you believe in women's rights, then you're a feminist. And it's about changing attitudes, because actually what we're saying to young men now who are in their, you know, the next generation, the 20s, the 30s, the millennials, to say, look, stop being a part of the problem, come and be a part of the solution, join the movement. So this is what has been really refreshing for me to see how many young men have now decided to become a voice for the voiceless. And for me, it's always been about helping the helpless and the voiceless by being selfless myself. And for me, it's not about um, the awards and everything else. It's about working for the cause. And I always say, you know what, I work for the cause and not the applause. Mm -hmm. And I think people can see that. People mm -hmm. want to be a part of it. You've got a movement where people want to buy into it. They can see that you're having a real impact. You're making real change. And I've feel you know very blessed to be leading the way globally with so many young people around the world that follow you everywhere and they want to be a part of it that's awesome that's wonderful and it is it's such a, a it's it's a very selfless thing to do and i i admire you for that because so many women would rather just like well okay i'm in this situation there's no way for me to get out of it why should I even bother? And it's like you said, it's even harder during the pandemic right now. I mean, I, I heard you, I, I saw your um, your show about shadow in the pandemic. Where, yeah. And that really hit home because for me, it's like, you know, you don't realize how um, the being, it's bad enough that you're, you're forced to be locked down, but then you have, your abuser in the same room and you can't get away from that person. You can't make calls. Um, you can't get, you know, and if you yeah. have children, it's worse. I, yeah. And do you think it's now that there's awareness of what's going on about, you know? And I think, you know what, people always say to me, oh, COVID's been an equalizer. It hasn't been an equalizer mm. because actually if you're poor, it's driven you into even more poverty. And actually, it's made things very difficult for people. The only thing equalizer is that it doesn't care if you're rich or poor, you could catch it. That's the only thing. It has brought inequalities to the surface like never before. Mm. And what I was doing when I talked about the shadow pandemic, about things that are happening behind closed doors, we have seen an increase on um, human trafficking around the world. We know that as we come out of the lockdown, people want cheaper goods for Christmas. People want cheap presents. People haven't got the money to pay for labour, so they'll have cheap labour. Sometimes people want cheaper sex. So we know that this is still going to continue. Mm -hmm. And I've been working with Jermaine in the United States with the Amer Trafficking in America Task Force. And we're raising these issues because actually trafficking is becoming a multi-billion pound business anyway. And it's getting worse. Wow. And we need to address these issues around um, raising awareness. We're seeing children being trafficked around the world and children being trafficked around America and nobody backs an eyelid. So one of the things is it's about um, working with the community and about getting men to be a part of the solution. It is so important that we teach men 
about respect and not tell girls what to do. And one of the things that I have been doing in recent years is about getting in and educating younger men. One of the, and also teaching them to say, look, you need to become a feminist. If you believe in equality for your sister, you believe your mum lives a life free of violence, your wife has a right to earn money, your sister doesn't deserve to be raped, then you're a feminist. You need to be a part of the solution and not be a part of the problem. And I feel like that this is the only way that we're ever going to be able to get a change because we need to go in and t- hit onto the gatekeepers test because otherwise things will never change Mm. because one of the things that's very easy to write policy is very easy to do a campaign but if you're not having the impact on the ground and not able to change hearts change hearts and minds and attitudes nothing will change so that's why I think I found a way that works and just like I was saying earlier you know the pandemic has brought all these inequalities to the surface like Mm -hmm. never before it's brought all the issues um to the forefront and people can see now that these are so many issues where people are scared at home because they're stuck with a perpetrator, children are neglected and don't have food, they're living with parents with mental health or alcoholism and and children are being neglected. And, you know, we need children back in school. They need a safe place so teachers and carers can see and spot the signs. Mm. It's not just around sexual abuse, but, you know, when a child looks dirty, hasn't had a wash and you know, you can tell the child is neglected, then you know that there are some issues at home. And we need to address those issues, really. Why do you think it's taken so long to have... I I mean, you were talking about addressing these issues with men and and the fact that if they believe that their wives or their mothers should not be abused, they're feminists. But why is it just... I mean, why is it so hard for society to... Because I think they've been conditioned to be macho. They've been, you know, in some cultures, boys are preferred over women. Sadly, in some communities, girls are aborted before they're even born on selection abortion. Mm. You know, a woman is discriminated against soon as she's conceived and all the way to her grave. And you know what? She will experience violence. So if she's been conceived and she's born and her mother knows that she's going to be a girl there's a possibility in some cultures that she could be aborted because of her gender. When she's born, she's fighting for equality. Her brother's always going to be preferred over her in some cultures. When she's a child, she's been told that she's going to be married off and this is her life. She doesn't need an education. She doesn't need to be empowered. She doesn't need to get a job because all she's going to be is a mother and a child. You know, this is not where we are. We live in the 21st century and we need to move with the times. And then what happens is if you become a widow, you get branded a witch and then you're in a life of poverty or sometimes you've been suffering a life of abuse. And we need to address these issues. I'll tell you what, there was I've been involved with a campaign in Afghanistan and it's saying, say my name. And a woman said, I'm not allowed to own my name. So I'm known as my father's daughter. I'm known as my brother's sister. I'm known as my husband's wife, the mother of my son, the grandmother of my children. But nobody knows my name. How much work do you think we have to do if you can't even own your own name? Mm. Yes. Well, and, but, I mean, obviously they have, they have services that they could use, but are those, those services even... But you know what the problem is, though, when you look at the pandemic, you know, so, I mean, the UK has put in millions of pounds to try and support victims and survivors of abuse. Mm. But the problem is a lot of these people can't leave that situation. 
there are women who were saving up money to leave their abuser. And what's happened is now, because she's lost her job, she's ended up using her savings. So she's stuck in a situation. She's back to square one. Mm. She can't leave. Sometimes the man has the mortgage. He has all the finances. So women will stay in that situation. And we need to address that issue. We also know that men can be victims of domestic violence as well. You know, women can be perpetrators as well. But I just wanted to flag that up. And we also know that one in three or four women will experience some form of violence in her lifetime. You know, that ratio is getting worse. Mm. And we need to address this issue. We need to educate people. We need to empower. We need to give people the skills to rebuild their life. We need to show people that actually we cannot continue to abuse people in the name of honour. We cannot go around abusing people because we think it's a cultural norm. We cannot go around turning a blind eye to abuse. If we see something, we cannot unsee it. If you know somebody has been you know, suffering domestic violence, you might be the only person that could help that person. It's sometimes not thinking, oh, it's not my problem. I don't want to get involved. You know what? You might be the only person that could actually help that person. So can you tell me how the idea of forced marriages came about, especially for children? I mean, it's obviously for young girls. Um... The, the thing is, you know what? Sadly, in the community, in, in the UK, in other parts of the world, sometimes, you know what, an arranged marriage is very different to a forced marriage. An arranged marriage is a long-standing tradition in the South Asian community, and there's nothing wrong with that, where families will be a matchmaker, they'll introduce you to a suitable young man or a woman, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's when you're putting your child under duress and putting them under emotional abuse and saying, no, you need to do this, you need to marry that person. You're not giving that person a choice. We have criminalised forced marriage in the UK, and I'm very proud of what we have achieved in the UK. And we are leading the way globally. But mm. I have done work with Australia and Canada and other parts of the world. But actually, it's very difficult to do that, even in America. You know, we have child brides in America, you mm. know, but sometimes, you know, parents, a child's been raped and they'll say, well, marry your rapist mm. so he doesn't go to jail. You know, and we live in a democracy in America. And, you know, we can say that people in Africa are not educated. We can say people in Asia, you know, they're, they're not as educated. But when you're looking at the West and you're looking at places like the United States and these practices are happening behind closed doors in our own communities, we have a moral responsibility to not turn a blind eye. We have a responsibility to call it out for what it is because it is nothing but short but abuse. Yes, for sure. And it's it's unfortunate that there's still like so much of that going on. And it doesn't, like you said, it doesn't seem to be getting any better. It's getting worse because yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things is there's been some good hope things. So, you know, Girti um, in India, who runs the uh, gender security program and uh, the Red Elephant Foundation, she was saying that, you know, that um, some of the women who are experiencing domestic violence have been putting out like a little ribbon, a corner of their sari or something on a gate so they know that they're suffering domestic violence and then women are able to help them. The police are recognising that this woman is at risk. So, you know, because even if she doesn't have a mobile phone, she doesn't have access to the internet, mm -hmm. that they are able to do, get some help. So there has been some innovative and creative ways. And, you know, I know you, we wanted to talk about some hackathons because I do a lot of hacks around the world now with um, NASA and other organizations. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I address these issues. And I, what I do is get tech and organizations to get involved to look at solutions for some of the, the real world challenges. So around gender equality, whether it's about violence against women. So, you know, recently I did a, a hack where I spoke about violence against women. 
and a couple of the young people through teams and AI, there were teenagers who did the hack. And, you know, they came up with an app for survivors of uh, child abuse. So, you know, it's, I'm looking at innovative and creative ways. I'm being very, uh, you know, different in the way that I work mm -hmm. because actually I want to be different. I want to be leading the way. I want to engage with the next generation. I'm known as the woman lifting the next generation of the sticky floor because I have smashed a glass ceiling. It's become a floor for others. But actually what I also want to do is tackle the intersectionality, stopping people tests. Mm -hmm. I want to address the issues of gender, race, disability, and all those other type labels and unconscious biases that are stopping you from smashing that glass ceiling. So, you know, when I look at empowering survivors i want them to thrive i don't want them to just survive and i think that that is what motivates me it's what drives me when i get up every morning that actually doing the right thing is the only thing to do mm. i can't just sit here and think oh well it's not my problem um tess can do it or somebody else can do it um you know you have to be the change that you want to see and actually when you become a campaigner and you stand for good you don't have many friends but you have the right friends Mm, I love that. And you're so right, because so much of what is going on can't, can, can't possibly continue. And, and I love that you did the hackathon for Ada Lovelace Day. Uh, and uh, it's, yeah. it's really, I, I saw that um, talk, I listened to that talk, and I was blown away. And I love that you're getting the, the future generation involved because they're the voice that you know they're the yeah. ones who and are they're the change and i yes. think you know people are saying to me mandy i can't believe how much you engage with young people but i i think it, today i did an event with 160 young people from the uk from schools uh, with the northern powerhouse and we were doing things around getting young generations uh, we had different people mentoring we did a carousel mentoring and we were looking at mentoring them about their women empowerment, looking at careers. We brought people in to talk about our journey, what we've achieved in our careers, what we've done. We talked about the challenges that we're facing. And, you know, I've done a lot of work with the class of 2020. Around the world, young people have not been able to graduate the way mm -hmm. they wanted to. Mm -hmm. There are young people who are graduated who can't get a job. The recession has hit the UK and America and Canada and the rest of the world like never before. We're in a global pandemic but actually we're in a global recession and it's going to take years to get back on track and we need to help the next generation because we have to pay it forward we pay homage to the women that have gone before us like phyllis and betty and other women mm. but you also pull up the next generation and i feel that people like myself in the middle you can't be the sticky middle you need to be pulling up people off that sticky floor and then you're pulling them up and you're giving them a seat at the table and show them what empowered looks like because actually i'm not ashamed or scared to bring and showcase the next generation and the next lot of talent i love doing that do you know what that is in my dna i wake up every morning when i meet a, an amazing talented young person oh my god it just i feel like christmas and birthdays have come together <laughs> for me that's awesome that's great and yeah. it now is the time, you know, I mean, right now we are celebrating because we've turned the corner, hopefully, with our... Well, you have in uh, America, and yes. that is a great day with yes. Kamala Harris, what a yes. hat trick, you know, yes. a woman, a yes. woman of Asian descent and black descent and, and a woman of colour. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's so disappointing that uh, we had somebody in the UK putting out a tweet to say, oh, the Indian's going to be in charge if anything happens to Biden. And you're just thinking, why can't you celebrate success? Why can't we celebrate women? You know, at the end of the day, 
She might not be in your cup of tea, mm. but you know what? She's there now, and yeah. we need to celebrate that. I was just so happy. Oh, so I was I. just ecstatic. You know, I, I so got thrilled. quite emotional because actually I was thought, for somebody who's been fighting for gender equality for so many years, for 30-plus years, to see that, it gives hope to yes. your daughter. It gives hope to children that you can get there. A daughter of migrants can actually get into the most powerful office in Right. And that's what we need to be showing people. Right. And we need to break down these barriers, these um, things that are stopping people from smashing up. And that's why I always say to people, we have a moral responsibility to put people on a table. And I don't want the same people around me, Tess. If you ever look at all the events I do, I never really have the same people on my panels. I'm always creating opportunities and bringing different people onto the panel. Mm, I do. Because I love it's that. Very easy. It's very easy to have your friends on a panel. Yes. But actually, you're not having the ideas then, are you? If you're just having a conversation with your same friends, mm -hmm. then it doesn't work. You have to bring the change agents and the right people for the right topic at the right time. And that's what I do. And I think during the pandemic, I have done God knows how many events. I've lost count. Mm. But you know what? Everything I would have done around the world, I've done online. Mm. I've honoured everything I was going to do. And I've brought more people together, you know, the World Bank and UNICEF and the World Humanitarian Forum, you know, and so many organizations have queued up to work with me this year and MasterCard. And, you know, I was in Davos and everything else. And I just feel incredibly blessed and grateful for a great life. I feel so blessed that God has picked me to have an amazing life, that I actually am able to follow my Dharma, follow my life purpose or bliss, whatever you call it, that actually I'm able to follow what my life was about. It was about legacy and impact. It's not about having awards and things. Those things are nice when you get recognized, but that's not what motivates me. For me, it's that impact when you've stopped a survivor from being abused, that you've been able to remove a child from a situation where they can rebuild their life, that you can take a woman out of a brothel, that she can rebuild her life, that you can stop a child being trafficked around and they can have a safe place, that they can have a normal childhood. Those are the things that motivate me. That is what wakes me up every day and puts that fire into my belly that I'm able to give people opportunities. I'm able to lift them off the sticky floor and give them a seat at the table. And, you know, as their mentor, you give them those chances. And you know what? My life has been very much about service and I am so grateful to God for such a great life and I wouldn't change anything. Yes, I've gone through difficult things in my life with my health, but you know what? You can't have everything in life, Tess. Mm. And I have more than most people, and I'm so grateful. I love what you said about you have to lift people out of the sticky floor. It's so it's so empowering because you really. It's so funny, are you know. When that. I was in Washington um, about a year and a bit ago, when I was, I was speaking in Congress, you know, I speak regularly at the House of Representatives, and um, I was walking past on six, you know. Um, past um, the White House, actually. I was um, just sort of um, walking past and people, would, there was some tourist and these women came running over to me and they were like, oh my God, there's a sticky floor woman, a sticky floor woman. And it's just so funny. And I had to stop and smile and I thought, you know what? Wow, that's my legacy. Yeah. This is what yeah, that my life is about. And actually, if I ever, something happened to me tomorrow, mm. that actually your life has touched people and you've inspired young people and you've mm -hmm. given them hope then you feel like your life has had purpose and your life has had value. You have lived a life of, you know, of substance. And I feel so grateful to God for such a life. I really do. 
And I, you know, it's very easy to be very bitter and cry that I haven't got children, I haven't got this. But you know what, Tess, I have so much more than other people. And I'm mm. just grateful for what I have. You can't have everything in life. And mm. you just count and you deal with the cards that you have. And you make the most of the opportunities that you're given. And you know, if you go the extra mile, your life be automatically becomes extraordinary. Wow. I love that. And I love how you view your life and how you view the future when it, when it comes to the next generation. It's so, it's so empowering and so inspiring. And, Thank you. you know, I, I really admire how you are with all the causes that you're going, that you believe in, because this is, this is, these are the causes that are also close to my heart. And when I asked you to be a guest, I was like, that would be such an amazing um, way for women to just listen to another woman, you know, going through, who have gone through so much, but at the same time, keeps powering on, you know, and it's, it's, it's really. And I think, you know, what I always say to people, I believe in like, not dimming anyone else's light. You know, I've met women who have tried to be cutthroat, but you know what, there's no shortcut to success Tess you can't climb a ladder with your hands in your pocket Mm. you have to do the work okay everyone has to do the work you know people say to me you're like a workaholic Mandy you work (laughs) so hard I said but you know what it doesn't feel like work because it's a calling it's a passion it just gives me so much energy so much passion I'm just so grateful to God for such a great life I just You know, every single day, you know, people say, God, you always say thank you. But why wouldn't I say thank you? Because I've been so blessed with such a life. And Mm. you know what? Yes, there's been some difficult times. But you know what? The good outweigh that any time of the day. And I feel like, you know what? If I can give hope to other people and show them that you can come over adversity, you can get over difficult things, and you can rebuild your life Mm -hmm. and, you know, and live a life of purpose, that's the only way to live a life, really. And it doesn't matter what religion, what culture, what gender, what age, where you come from, you know. But if you find your calling, then you've been a very blessed individual. That's awesome. I love that. Um, what, so what would you say to young girls and women who may be going through uh, some abuse, some trauma, um, and can't and can't seem to get out of it, or can't or doesn't think that they can that they can get out of it. What would you say to I them? I think you know what. There are places that you call for help, and we know that at the moment there isn't as many resources and, and you know refuges and beds and places. But you know what? What I'm doing in certain countries now mm-hmm. is actually getting the police to say no, remove the perpetrator out of the home. Why should a mother be taking three, four children and moving into a hostel? Get him out of the house. Yeah, you know, get mm-hmm. her onto the tenancy, work with the banks and work with the mortgage company, and see, you know, and work with her and empower her to give her control over her life. The reason why people stay in situations because they can't see no way out. There's always a solution. There's always a way out. You just got to look and dig hard enough to find it. Right. And then again, it's about showing people never to give up. You're not alone. There are other people who have gone through the same things that you have but they've come out of it the other side. And there is light at the end of the tunnel. And we can do that. Mm-hmm. It's the first step is actually asking for the help mm-hmm. and letting go of the fear as well. Because actually, it's so difficult because when somebody has emotionally abused you and psychologically taken away that, 
Sometimes, you know, I've met survivors who say, Mandy, I can handle a black eye because that will go away tomorrow. But, you know, the emotional abuse, the every day, the verbal abuse, that's in my head. I don't think that I could get over that. It's taken away my self-esteem. It's taken away my confidence. It's taken away my self-worth. And it's trying to help women to rebuild their life and show them that they can survive, they can thrive, and they're not alone, and connect them to other survivors to tell their stories. And I do that quite a lot, actually. I've done a program where I mentor people and I say, find your mojo and help them to rebuild their life. And what they do then, they become advocates and they support other women because actually they can talk through that situation and say, look, I went through this. It is hard. This is what I did. And share their experience, share their stories, come together and work together and end up with a sister or a brother to help you through that journey because you're not alone. Thank you for that. Um, Wow. Well, and what would you recommend as a society? What can we do to help these women? What I would say to you, I think, you know what? If you see something, you can't unsee it. You have a moral responsibility to report or step in. People don't want to. I'll tell you what, I've sat in a restaurant and I've seen a man hit a woman. And I stepped in and I went over to him. I said, what the hell do you think you're doing? And, you know, and I've said, right, I'm calling the police. I've been in a grocery store, you know, many years ago where a mother smacked her child's bottom and she put him on the, uh, like, in a supermarket. She pulled him up on the, you know, the conveyor belt and pulled down his pants and smacked his bum. I was like, what do you think you're doing? And I had to call, like, the police and the local authority for child protection services because you cannot do that. If a person can do that in public, what the hell do you think they're doing behind closed doors? Hmm. Do you understand? And that's what I'm saying to you. And sometimes you don't want to and you think, oh, it's not my business. Sometimes, you know, you hear your neighbours fighting, arguing, you can hear plates being smashed and you hear her crying and screaming. And you think, oh, it's not my problem. I don't want to intervene. I don't want to get involved. But sometimes, you know what, you have to report it. Mm. So what I'm saying is, if it's wrong and I know it's wrong, I'm going to make it my business and I'm going to make sure that I do it to make it right. Yeah. And I mean... Does that make sense? Yes, definitely. And I, I, you know... I, for one, definitely agree with that. And, you know, I haven't really been in situations where I've had to do that, but I am hope uh, I would hope that if, if I did come across something like that, I would say, all right, what's going on? <laughs> and you, you need to, like, step back. Um, yeah. But it's, like you said, I so many of us. I know people always say to me, it's easy, it's easy, said yes. and done, but it isn't. You right. know, I've supported my whole life supporting victims and survivors. I think mm-hmm. it's in my DNA. I know, like, you know, I've had fatwas, I've had death threats, I've had people, you know, I, do, I have to use a different mailing address to where I live. You know, I have to protect my family. Mm. But you know what? But I've taken on a battle, and I know that I'm going to take some scrapes in the war, but I know that eventually I will win the war. And it's just those sort of things that you have to have that positive attitude. You have to have that mindset. And for me, doing nothing isn't an option. If I see something wrong, I have to call it out. I have to do the right thing. Whether that ends up with me having no friends and no Christmas cards, so be it. Mm. Well, thank you for all of that. Uh, so when you're not speaking at events and, and fighting for gender equality, what does Mandy like to do? I mean, wh- I love, I'll tell you what, I, I love reading. Okay. And you know what? This year I became vegan in January. So in England, we have this thing called um, the January where people become gen- a vegan for January. Huh. And I did it and I stuck at it. I feel so much better. 
Um, so I've started to do some baking and I've started to cook a lot more from scratch, which I'm really enjoying because I love food. Mm. I love eating. I love good food. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I love cooking. So I've been doing quite a lot of cooking during the lockdown. And also, you know what? Sometimes I just love to unwind with a good old book. Mm. And, you know, at the moment, I'm currently reading Phyllis's new book, Phyllis Chesler's. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And, uh, and what I'm trying to show you is, is so important that you... Um, just unwind sometimes and sometimes and I like going for walks as well you know I'm lucky that I live in a nice area so I can go out for a safe area and I can go for nice long walks and it gives me a good opportunity to just clear my head and it's good exercise you know because in Britain gyms and everything have been closed I wasn't a big gym person anyway I had a membership I never used to get the time to go to it mm -hmm. but actually walking has been really fantastic and we've had a good summer this year in the UK so you know walking reading and cooking so you know and I just you know these are simple things but you know what they bring you great pleasure spending time with your family like your nieces and nephews is you know a great pleasure as well you know they're growing up and they're becoming amazing human beings and you know it's just great to be able to connect with people and keep in touch with people check in on people so that's yeah. what I kind of like to do you know life simple things are sometimes the best things you know yeah for sure yeah well so what would you like to see in five years what would do you have any personal goals so I think you know somebody asked me this recently so I've been approached to write a book so I think that that's probably the next thing that's coming now oh great because actually do you know what because I've had a great life I've gone through so much as a person myself but actually do you know what when I look at the lives that you have been able to change you know it just fills my heart and I just think oh my god I just cannot believe that God has picked me to do his work mm -hmm. and I'm just beyond grateful for an amazing life wow. and you know I've been able to travel so many places around the world I don't take that for granted but you know what in every corner there's stories to tell and I think you know what I think it's going to be something that is the next chapter I'm continuing to do a lot of my hacks and do my campaigning you know I just love what I do Tess it doesn't feel like work it's just a great life I am beyond grateful to God for such a blessing and a great life and I just think thank you and I just you know every day live a life of gratitude mm. and I think you know like my friend Shelley says when you find purpose and passion you're unstoppable and mm. I feel like you know what that is um where I am in life and I'm just so grateful and I just um, want to say thank you again to you as well Aww. because it's um uh, an honor to be on your podcast as well and it's nice to support other friends as well when they start off new ventures it's really important that we um step up and we support them and and do that sorry we had a few tech problems and uh, <laughs> internet issues but i'm sure you'll sort it all out yeah. um, but you know no but i just want to say thank you again mm -hmm. and it's really important that you know we support women and we become a she for she and we are you know all in it together because actually, you know, when we collaborate and support each other and their ventures, then, you know, great things happen. When we collaborate and support each other and empower each other, that's the only way to be. There's no room to being cutthroat. You know, I want to be a role model for young generations to show them that we can collaborate. We can support other women. We don't need to be in competition and pull somebody else down. Yeah. I believe in lighting other people's candle because I know that me trying to dim your light isn't going to make mine shine any brighter with one candle, you can light hundreds of candles. And that's what I always tell people. Oh, thank you. That's really, that's amazing, Mandy. And I, I 
I'm so grateful and honored to have you on my show. And, you know, meeting you at one of the UN events was like amazing. And it's been such a ride for me, you know, meeting incredible women like you. And I wish you so much luck in your your current campaigns and future campaigns. And I do hope that you know, when you write your book, you will come back and let me know about it and we can talk I about that. Do. No, I will do, 100%. <laughs> I mean, I'm just so blessed. I'm just thinking, you know what, I thought this year, um, I turned 50 this year mm. and I thought I was going to live a life of just going travelling and I was going to have a bit of an easier year. It's been a very strange year. I was um, stuck in New York in March when uh, oh, wow. um, America shut down and COVID and Britain ended up on a lockdown. I had to get an emergency flight out. So you know what? But actually, I'm so grateful. I ended up in Davos and so many amazing things have happened. Mm. And you know what? I'm looking at all the blessings because actually I've been able to um, step back and continue to do the work remotely, connect with amazing people around the world. And, you know, I'm just, you know, in a great place and I'm just grateful for a great life. And I just feel so blessed. I just feel so grateful to be doing God's work. And I think if you understand that and you find your calling and you know that you've been picked for a higher purpose, you know, you know, your life has purpose. It's it's such a great feeling that I can't even explain to you, but I feel so blessed. Wow. Well, I, I really admire you and your work. And I really believe that, you know, you're you have this purpose for a reason. You've been you know, blessed to do this because you have this voice that you want to have everybody, you want everyone to know that they have a voice, that they have rights. And I really appreciate that. I really appreciate hearing that for sure. And, Thank you. You know, and I, I, the only thing I can say is, is I am so grateful that you said yes. And I am honored that you decided to come on and I look forward to hearing more about your future endeavors. So uh, thank you thank so you. much, Mandy. No I really problem. appreciate it. Thank you again, Tessie. And stay safe. Please stay safe as well. I will. Okay. Hold and you know what? You got it. And you know what? I think things are changing for the better. Mm-hmm. I don't get into politics, but I think that, you know, it's great to see a woman at the top there in the United States. It just fills me with great joy that a woman that looks like me is in that office. Oh. You know, it just fills your heart with joy. It motivates and inspires so many people. Oh, I, I totally agree. Oh, thank you so much. No, thank you again, Tess. God bless. Thank you. Thank Bye-bye. You, you too. That's our show for today. I've posted more information about Mandy Sangara on RevWoman.com. Just a little note. I've launched a Patreon account to support the show. All proceeds will go to producing and editing the episodes to give my poor husband a break from being my personal IT and production department. He wrote this. The address is patreon.com slash revwoman. Thank you for listening, and I hope you'll tune in every Thursday for another episode of Revolutionary Woman. You can listen to Revolutionary Woman on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.